Today's special guest, former NHL center Mark Curtin, talks about his career and his battle with ALS. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show, coming up. Welcome to the program. Today's very special guest was born in Regina, grew up in Regina and Toronto. He played junior hockey in Peterborough. He was drafted 48th overall by the Maple Leafs in 1978. He played for Toronto, Detroit, and Vancouver. 266 NHL games over a 10-year career. He was diagnosed with ALS in 2018. He is a spokesperson and advocate for ALS. Welcome to the program, Mark Curtin. Mark, great to have you here. Thanks, Joe, and thanks for having me. You know, Appreciate June it. is, for those who don't know, June is ALS month, and it was important for us to have you on the show here in this month. It really nice to see, have you here, Mark. Uh, how big of a month is June for you? You know what, June is huge, but it, uh, it really took off last year when uh, Major League Baseball had their inaugural uh, Lou Gehrig Day on June the 2nd. And that kind of put this illness uh, on the map, so to speak. And uh, so everybody rallied around that, and it resonated right across the uh, across the country. And uh, a lot of fundraising in June, and uh, more importantly, awareness, because there's a lot of people that didn't know what ALS was. And uh, now, at least they're asking questions. And uh, so it was a it was a huge, huge day, as it was. Uh, last week, um, but uh, uh, overall, it's really given us uh, a jump in our step. Well, we're going to talk about your journey with ALS, but I want to talk about your your hockey career first. And and uh, so we like to begin at the beginning. Uh, when did you uh, determine? Was it growing up, perhaps in Regina, that you determined that you wanted to be a hockey player? When did it? Uh, when did it sort of dawn on you this could happen? You know what? Back in uh, back in Regina, that's all we did. I mean, we started at about four years old and played pond hockey and uh, and and hockey out in the back alley and what have you. And what's kind of funny about that is it just goes to show you how life goes around. Um, recently, I, I spoke with a, a few guys that that uh, I used to play road hockey with when we were uh, seven, eight years old. And they all went on to play with the Regina Pats, and they won a Memorial Cup. And uh, and then then I talked to them 50 years later, like Robbie Laird and Billy Bell and Glenn Burden, and it was shocking to have life go right around in a full circle. But I, I think all of us that played road hockey in that era all felt we were going to make it to the NHL. So you moved to Toronto when you were 10 years old. We were just talking off air. And uh, tell us uh, about the move to Toronto, uh, why it happened, and uh, did, was it a good move for you? It was a good move. I mean, my, my father worked for Sears at the time, and a lot of people out west got transferred out east. So uh, we got transferred to Calgary briefly, uh, which was an interesting way, uh, place to play hockey. You'd get up in the morning and uh, – and go to the uh, go to school and go to the rink, and the game would be canceled. 
uh, you thought in the morning because of the cold, and then you got there at night and it was melted because of the Chinook, so you didn't play. <laughs> but um, it was, you know, and, and of course you never played in indoor rinks until you made the playoffs, and then you got a chance to go inside. But uh, you know, Calgary was a was a fun short stop, and then off to Toronto and uh, and the MTHL, and uh, uh, you know we started off in the Scarborough Hockey Association way back and uh, jumped to Wexford of the MTHL and uh, had some pretty good teams and and uh, on we went up into, into junior ranks. How did you end up with the Peterborough Peach, your junior club? Um, well, Roger Nielsen uh, drafted me and, uh, um, you know, I, I, I guess the, uh, uh, the, the probably the big story here is that I actually wrote uh, all the hockey schools in the area when I was about 15 uh, to see if I could get a job in the summer working at a school. And Roger was the only one that replied. And he came out and met my parents and what have you. And so I ended up uh, uh, living at his cottage up on Buckhorn Lake when I was, you know, 14, 15 years old with Greg Millen. And we ran the hockey school or actually shouldn't run it. We, we uh, tied hockey skates is what we did. <laughs> and, and, and we were the gopher for guys like Coley Campbell and, and uh, Doug Jarvis and some of the old Pete's. Um, but it was a, it was a real good learning experience from Roger. And then of course he drafted both of us to junior and that's how we ended up in Peterborough. Well, and you had a good year in 78, uh, 27 goals, 71, uh, 71 points in 67 games. Uh, you went to the Memorial cup final in 78. Uh, did that help you, uh, help your draft prospects? Oh, for sure. It did. I mean, we, uh, we went from dead last my first year junior, which uh, Roger was so upset with us. He made us stay for an extra three or four weeks of playing hockey against all the small towns up in Northern Ontario. And that wasn't so much fun. They were rough games. And, and I know Roger had a smirk on his face after we finished the 10th game. But that was our penalty for not playing very well that year. But we, we built momentum. And then with Gary Green that last year, we were a pretty strong team. And uh, we took Bobby Smith and Ottawa to eight games and beat them. And then we beat Hamilton. And then off we went to, to Memorial Cup in Sault Ste. Marie and Sudbury. And we ended up uh, losing to New Westminster in the final, which was a real tough pill to swallow. And uh, Joe, it was a funny story like about a month and a half ago. Uh, I was in Vancouver, believe it or not. We decided to give it a try to travel to Vancouver and uh, it was successful. We had a lot of fun, but I was up in the NHL alumni box and I was uh, sitting there and an older gentleman came up to me with a smile on his face. And he said, uh, you know, I out coached him. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? And then Stan Schmiel came around the corner and he introduced uh, Punch McLean to me. And Punch was the coach of New West when they beat us. So he was trying to tell me that he outcoached Gary Green. So it was uh, pretty funny. But um, anyways, we uh, did uh, he? That was a sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> did did he outcoach Gary Green? 
Did Punt tell Coach Barry? I don't think so. You know what? Punt, I asked him in, in what respect, and and he said, well, he says, I let you guys beat us twice in the round robin, and then we loaded up for the final. That was his coaching. But, well, yeah. Well, I mean, there were pretty tough times back there. I remember the New West Bruins, New Westminster Bruins, and the, you know, the, the Western League. I grew up in Edmonton, so I, I watched a lot of that hockey. And uh, yeah, it's some some tough some tough dudes back then. Tough league. It, it, it was, and, and well, we had a pretty strong team. Uh, Keith Crowder, Jeff Brubaker, we and Keith Acton. We had quite a quite a good team too. We had good goaltending, but just one of those games, you know, in the final when everything goes south on you. And you Pretty tough to stop it. So uh, you mentioned kind of earlier that you were a bit of a, a Leafs fan. Uh, what was it? Uh, uh, what was it like getting drafted by the Leafs out of? Out of, out of by the way, you had twenty six points in twenty one playoff games uh, w- with the Pete's that year, so pretty significant. Yeah. Uh, what was it like being? What were your thoughts about being drafted by the Leafs? Oh, it was huge. I mean, to have lived in Toronto and then get drafted by Toronto. It was so surreal, really. But but I also knew that, you know, Roger played a part in that draft. So I made her make darn sure that I'm in the best shape I could possibly be in so I don't make him look bad either. But um, you know what? I, I probably trained as hard that summer than I ever did my whole career. So I went into shape. I went in in top, top shape and uh, had a really good camp. But uh, they were loaded at center, so I knew I was going down to the to the American League. And Eddie Johnson was a coach down there, and uh, he played it. He played me a ton, uh, so it was a it was a huge learning experience. And uh, and then the second year, um, I lasted a game or two, I think, in Toronto. Scored on my first goal, which he just shot. There you go. There. We we have it there. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then the second game, what you're not showing, is when I lost a faceoff and went running out to the point, and they put it back to the center and in the top corner, and I was down to the minors. So, yeah, you don't have that film, eh, Joe? <laughs> we don't want to see that one. But you know yeah. what? That was so that was that was so cool. That was that was your. By the way, uh, Vic, why don't we run that again? So this is after a solid year in New Brunswick. You get called up by the big club, the home opener against the Rangers. Uh, your first game, your first shift. Okay, now the puck squirts in, into the into the lace zone here, and then we have the transition yeah. game here. Is that Turnbull? I believe with the puck right there. Okay, yeah, it fires sure it up was. the boards here, and then Jerry Butler is going to hustle after the loose puck here, and check out this feed. Great setup. Boom! A laser by Marker. You know, it, well it's fun. Yeah, I and I'll tell you, Joe. I probably had my eyes closed on that one, but. Um, <laughs> You know, it's funny, for years and years and years, every time I ran into uh, uh, Booter, Boutet, in the alumni box, he used to say that he yeah. assisted on it. Well, I, I don't even see him touching the puck here. No, he's there after. He, he congratulated you first. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But no, it's Turnbull, it's Turnbull fires it up. Butler gets the loose puck. He puts it in the slot, and there you go. So uh, Exactly. Uh, tell, tell Booter he wasn't That was a big goal, thrill. But- but th- thanks for the uh, thanks for the congl- congratulatory uh, yeah. uh, shot on the shoulder there. Yeah, thanks, 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 Booter. So uh, yeah. 
You, you know, uh, so you, you got what, what a debut. I mean, that's not obviously not, not kind of debut you expected. And as you mentioned later in the game, you, you know, you're on the ice when they scored and then, and back you go down in the minors. You only played 12 games as it turns out in, in a Maple Leafs, uh, uniform. You could have had another goal here. We're going to show you, uh, some other, another highlight we got here, Vic, you can roll that one. Uh, here we go right there. Taking a slash in the face from Randy Holt on your shorthanded breakaway. Do you, do you remember that? Uh, do you remember no, taking you, that shot? You know what? I, I don't remember that one, but uh, as a matter of fact, it looked a little bit like a dive. Yeah. No, I wouldn't you have think? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, no, you know what? Maybe I do remember yeah. that. You know who that is, Joe? That's Korab, isn't it? Oh, is it Korab? Okay. I think it's Korab, okay. yeah. But okay. yeah, I, I, I don't remember. Number four for the but, Kings. There we go. Okay. Yeah. Jerry Korab. All right. All right. But you know yeah. what? It, it 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 even even dressing those twelve games with that kind of an experienced team, boy oh boy, you sure learn a lot, right? And then going down to the minors, the American League team was a, an older team as well, and it was half owned by Chicago, so we had a pretty good club. And of course, my second year in the in the American League, we went right to the Calder Cup. So, and that's how you get out of that league. You get to the you get to the Calder Cup, you take a look at both teams. Most of the guys are up in the NHL the year after. Well, you know, after your your short stint in Toronto, uh, you were shipped off to uh, Detroit for Jim Rutherford. Now, what did what did the least need an old uh, old goaltender for? Jeez, I don't know. You know what? I, I don't know. But I was one happy guy when I and that and Gordy Stelic has said it a million times. I think it was the first time. He actually had to call a player and tell him he was traded. And I remember that particular night because I think we played Pittsburgh and uh, I only played about three shifts. So I went out and had a late night, got home about three in the morning and there was a message to call Gord no matter what time I get in. So I called up Gordy and, uh, and he was so nervous, Joe. Like his <sighs> voice was quivering. He could hardly breathe. And of course, I'm cheering. I'm going. Are you kidding me? I'm going to Detroit to play. I said I'm there. When's the, and so I had to catch the uh, nine o'clock flight and play the Flyers the next night in Detroit. So there I am facing off against Bobby Clark, and I'm thinking, how fast was that 24-hour turnaround? But Gordy is all. I, he's, I've heard that story a thousand times. How nervous he was on that call. So he had just become the general manager. That's when Harold Ballard looked around the room and said, "You're you're the new GM over there." You, well, I'm not what sure. Are you Joe? I'm not sure if he was just a gopher. Okay, like, he might have been a gopher there at the time and not the GM. I don't think. Oh well, yeah, was a you're GM. right. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. He might have been an assistant to the GM. I think is what his title could be. That could assistant be, yeah. to the GM. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it, now it was you, awesome in Detroit. For sure. I mean, that's where you had your best season. So we got we got some more video. Uh, in 1980-81, you had eight, 18 goals, and uh, you're on the power play here. Nice goal and a rebound, uh, and it's it's uh, our pal. Uh, oh, here we're just going to take a little while to, to get to it because they they shot it out of the zone. But um, you're uh, setting it up here on the power play, and uh, our old pal Brad Motor City Smitty. You can see him there on the right side. He's in on the goal. Yeah. Here we go. Here comes the point shot. And there's... 
Curtain has tied the game on the power play. It is three to three. There you go. Joe, you know what? That was a fun line with those two guys, uh, Woody and Motor City. And uh, I, I'm sure they don't keep track of this, but there was about six games in a row at Joe Lewis where we scored first shift. Wow. And I don't know that they keep records like that, but we did. <laughs> You never forgot. But, uh, no, no, not at all. No, we never forgot. But I talked to Smitty all the time. I talked to both those guys. But uh, they, it was uh, it was a fun line because it could do a little bit of everything. Smitty's done well with his his avalanche too. I mean, holy crap, he has. Uh, yeah. So it, so he also had fourteen goals, twenty eight assists, and seventy four games with uh, sixty two penalty minutes in eighty one, eighty two. And uh, so that you, you played in Detroit for a while. Tell us about your experience with, with, with the Red Wings. Um, you know what? It was one of the reasons why I think, because as you know, when you come out of Peterborough and you played for Roger, 99% of the time you're labeled a checker, even if you can score or not. Uh, but in Detroit, I got an opportunity to play uh, a lot more. Uh, play the power play and penalty killing, all that stuff. And that's because they cleaned house there. They In one practice, they sent Dennis Polonich, uh, uh, Peter Mahovlich, Errol Thompson, and two other guys to uh, Glens Falls. So it kind of cleared the uh, cleaned house as far as the forwards go. So there was only Dale McCourt and myself. So I, that's where I got all the ice time. And that's where I got the goals because those 18 goals were like in 50 games. So it's like a 30 right. goal year. So it just goes to show you that it's such a fine line when you get to the NHL that you might not be necessarily a checker only if you're given the opportunity to play. Right. So, but in Detroit, that's the way it was. Wayne Maxter gave me a chance to play. And then, uh, Unfortunately, you know, I think my third year, you know, we, we weren't winning. We were, we were struggling. And whenever the team struggles, unfortunately, it's usually the third, fourth liners that get caught in the turnstile. And, and that's what happened. And down I went again, up and down and down and up as was my whole career. Right. We see that in Toronto, right? It's not the, uh, it's not the Matthews and Marner who are being moved. It's going to be, you know, the third and fourth yeah. liners. It's going to be Mikheyev who's, who's, who's moving on next year. Yeah. Like they're uh, going to make a big difference. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, there you go. But one final stop here in your career with uh, Vancouver, uh, traded for Ivan Boulderov. Now Boulderov was a 35 goal scorer, had oh, 80 points with the Canucks. And, uh, here, here's you with the Canucks. A uh, nice setup here from JJ Daniel. Uh, what was your favorite memory in Vancouver? Well, first of all, Joe, I wouldn't have made that trade. <laughs> I wouldn't have made that. I, there's no way I would have. Uh, I would have swapped that 75 pointer. But you know, um, my time in in Vancouver was really good at the start, and I had a real good playoff uh, that year. But uh, you know, once again, it was the same kind of a merry-go-round. Team starts to struggle after a while, and they're going to move the guys that they can move easily, right? So I, I ended up spending a couple of years in Fredericton and uh, really enjoyed my time down there as well. Um, and uh, onward we went. 
Yep, settled in Oakville, uh, got into the real estate business, a very successful real estate career in Oakville, and I understand it's still growing, going great guns for you. Yeah, I've got, um, my wife and I are partners in the team, and we've got a couple agents that work for us, so uh, business has been a little bit slow because of the COVID times, uh, and especially since it just peaked. But you know what? We we get our own out there, and we hold our own, and uh, um, you know, and it's for me and and my condition, uh, being able to use Zoom calls and what have you virtually has really really made a difference. Um, and uh, there was a time there for about two and a half years where I you know no one had to go to the house anyways because of COVID, so I could just run the business right off the computer. So it worked out quite right. well, but now, now we're getting back to the stage where, you know, people want the agent to come to the house and what have you. So, uh, you know, my wife and stager head out to the house and, and I do the pricing over the, over the computer. So it all works out well. So let's talk about, you talked about your condition. And, and so the, the way I understand it is about 2015, you started to notice something was happening what what, what uh, tell us about that uh, you know yeah it was uh it was march april of that year and uh, we were down in uh in bahamas at paradise island and my right bicep wouldn't stop twitching uh it was getting you know it was like all day long and and it was kind of funny because i thought you know i just started drinking coffee if you can believe it mm -hmm. i hadn't drink drank coffee my whole life and I started drinking coffee about a month or two before that. And I thought, maybe that's it. But when I stopped coffee, it wasn't it. It just kept going. And then what would happen is my right hand was getting a little weaker. And uh, my fingers would start to spread. Um, and I found that when I was at the gym trying to lift a dumbbell, sometimes the bar would slip right out of my hand. So yeah. we obviously started to get concerned about that and we went through probably two years of testing uh, because we actually thought it was Lyme disease which kind of mirrors ALS and as a matter of fact I had a positive test out of California that that didn't turn to uh, well it, it wasn't real so mm -hmm. finally we did get uh, a test where we went down to Sunnybrook and and uh, the neurologist did a final test on me and said, this is what you've got. You've got ALS. That was 2018. So 2015 March and then 2018 was the actual, actual diagnosis. But you know, Joe, it, it, uh, it kind of went around me like a clock. It went from right arm to left arm to left leg to right leg, right around. So it was, uh, it, you know, over time, you uh, you know you just do your best to deal with it, but um, it was it was very unnerving to be playing golf and, and having your 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 club slide right out of your hand when it's not even wet out. Mm -hmm, so, mm -hmm. but but I mean it is what it is, and uh, um, you know we've had to. Uh, adjust a lot of things along the route that's for sure but that's how it started so what was it like then when you got that that 
diagnosis, uh, you know, confirmed and, and, uh, what was it like for you? And I know Lisa and, and, and your kids, how, how did y'all take that? Well, it was happened pretty fast. I'll tell you, we were, Lisa and I were sitting at Sunnybrook and, and, uh, you know, the doctor came in and he didn't hold any punches. He just told us exactly what it was. So, you know, we're just have a stunned look on our faces and, uh, it's not like they, they give us a book and say, here, this is what you got to follow. This is what's going to happen. What have you, we just left there totally on our own. And, uh, you know, we, I remember getting into the car again, looking at each other and, you know, so many things flashed through you because when you raise three kids, you, you know, you're looking forward to towards the end where you can start mm -hmm. to really enjoy your own, uh, you know, twilight years. And so that gets snatched from you right away. And then you think, oh, well, how are you going to tell the kids? You know, and then you, then you instantly think, well, where is this going to end? And what have you. So all these things race through your head. But, you know, you, you try and get over it. And then that, that night when I was at home, I, I just kind of made a decision very rashly. I just said, look, I said, uh, I got two choices here. I can go and hide in the corner and be depressed and cry and, and uh, be destroyed or come out fighting on this and, uh, and be positive and try to help others that have this and see if I can make a dent out there in the, uh, in the advocacy. So that's the direction I decided to go. And, uh, uh, but it's, but it's been pretty, pretty tough on the family. That's for sure. Because, you know, they're the extension of me. So wherever I need something or whatever, they, they have to be right there. Right. Right. I'm, I understand though. They're pretty supportive. Like it's, it's been kind of a team effort for you guys, right? Oh yeah. It's, it's, uh, for sure. I mean, we have PSW help and what have you, but I don't know where I'd be without, uh, you know, my, my, uh, my boys and my wife for sure. And daughter, because they're right there in a moment's notice. And, uh, and that just keeps me going. Right. So what was the diagnosis you were given? What's the prognosis? What did the doctor say to you? Like, what did they tell you? Well, the first thing they tell you is there's no cure. That's, that's right off the get go. And, uh, and then, then they give you all these different doctors names or, or not doctors names, I guess, uh, specialists like uh, physio and all these places. So you're like, it's like, a, it's like food stations. You just start bopping around Sunnybrook talking to these different people, but you're already overwhelmed by everything anyways. Mm -hmm. So I'll tell you, if I can make one change and I'm, I'm attempting to do it is I'm always trying to, to leave my phone number out for anybody that has this illness to call me anytime because boy, oh boy, I wish I would have talked to somebody that had been through it because you sure can learn a lot from somebody that's already been down that path. And uh, that kind of reminds me of Roger when he was ill. I remember going to see him and uh, he had about three pages of names and numbers. And I said, Roger, what's, what are all those numbers and stuff? He says, those are all people that have cancer that I need to speak with. And I never forgot that. Mm. 
It's not uh, like it's such a it's it's a grim prognosis, right? I mean, they don't tell you there's no they're not they're not blowing smoke up your butt here. They're they're telling you the the, the facts, and it, it doesn't sound good. But how do you have how do you maintain hope in all that? Like how do you? Well, they they tell you it's uh, you know the average is two to five years, you know from onset. Um, well, you know they don't even say from onset; they just say two to five years. So onset means from first symptom. Or is it from diagnosis? Well, I kind of look like I kind of look at it like, um, you know, I've really had ALS since my first symptom, because they could have mm-hmm. diagnosed it a month after that if they, right? So, the way I look at it is, you know, I've really had it for seven years, so I'm over, I'm past the two to five years, and there is some people that go 10, 15 plus years, but most don't. And, and Joe, there's, a, there's two kinds of ALS. There's, there's sporadic, which is what I have, which is what 95% uh, of the people have. The other 5% have, have what's called uh, genetic. And that's what uh, Chris Snow has. And uh, there's hope in that area. They've, uh, they've kind of hit a home run drug there. So it's really helping out Chris and others. But for sporadic, there's still... They're still working on it. There's 189 trials around the world. Um, and, you know, some are in phase two and phase three. Uh, but there's only, there's only two uh, treatments out there that are, that are, they say, slow progression. And there's a third one in Health Canada right now. So there's three slow progression uh, drugs that we're trying to get into our bodies. But we're far, far from a home run. So again, I look at this like, okay, I'm blessed to be around seven years later. It's, it's in my arms, it's in my legs, but it's not in my front. It's not in my chest or my throat or my swallowing or anything like, or my speech yet. Whereas there is a lot of ALS we call them pals. There's a lot of pals that can't speak, uh, have feeding tubes. They have the tax to breathe and all that. So I've been very fortunate, Joe, in, in that respect that I'm still going strong. Is there anything that you've been taking or that you've tried yet that seems to help you? Um, you know, I've been on this one drug from Japan called Adaravone. Uh, Radicava is another name for it. And I'm on my 41st uh, treatment this month. And it's 10 days every month where I put an IV in my arm and it's a one-hour treatment. Um, so 10 days a month. But, you know, I to be honest with you, after 40, I don't have a lot of veins left in these arms. Like they're into uh-huh. my hands. They're into my hands now. So... And, and what happens is the nurse will come and cite it, and then my daughter or wife will, will do the actual infusion. But um, they're now coming out with what's called an oral Adarabone mm. drug in a couple months. So that will, will help my cause in that, pers- in that particular, uh, particular treatment. So there's nothing, nothing invasive. And, that, and that's another thing about this illness. Um, like there's no pain. I don't have any pain. 
And as far as mental goes, I'm 100% the same as I was before I was ill. So, you know, I mean, there's a couple positives right there in a negative situation, right? Right. It's kind of the anti-Alzheimer's, right? You, your, your brain is totally functioning, but your, your body's not as opposed to the opposite, which, right? Which is a real odd one because when you think about it, like when you do get to the end, like you're mentally completely 100% fine. It's a, t- it's a, a very odd one. But, um, you know, it's, uh, it could be worse. I could have what's called bulbar, which is all in your front which is what you see in a lot of people. Um, and, and a lot of my, my friends that, um, that I talk to on a Zoom every week, a lot of them have trouble talking. So it's, uh, I, I feel for them. You know, uh, you're an amazing advocate for ALS. Uh, you've been a warrior for ALS on Twitter and social media. Um, how do you how do you keep that attitude? Is there anything that you have to say to yourself, or you know, like you have to pep talk yourself? How do you keep the the uh, the positive attitude? Well, you know what? If if I'm down, everybody else is going to be down, right? That's kind mm-hmm. of the way I look at it, and uh, it doesn't matter whether it's uh, it's family or friends or or colleagues or what. But you know, I'm. I, I, tr- I try to stay upbeat, but it's hardest on the family because they they kind of, they'll see me when I, I have my down times, whereas nobody else will, right? So it, it's a little bit harder from that perspective. But, uh, um, you know, you, you just, you, you, I, I guess it's the athlete mentality, Joe. You just, you know, when things are down, you pick yourself up and away you go. Listen, I, I played over 500 games in the American League and one year, I think I got sent down seven times. I mean, Gabby Boudreau likes to think that he was sent down more than me one year, but he's wrong. <laughs> Resilient, and, and that's speak, for sure. You know what, speak, speaking of Gabby Boudreau, um, if you can imagine, the last couple of games I played golf about three or four summers ago, played against him, could hardly hold on to my club with my right hand. The guy wouldn't give me any strokes. <laughs> like, what's up with that? <laughs> I mean, I gave it to him in Vancouver when I went out there last couple months ago. Actually, he, uh, Jimmy Rutherford and him invited me. That's, how I, that's why I went. Wow. Yeah. That's funny. It brings you back to the trade, right? But you've had a lot of support. I know you've had a lot of support from the from from the uh, athletic community, the sporting community. Uh, a lot of support from you know friends like James Duffy, uh, Ken Reed, Ron McLean, uh, Ray Ferraro, Wendell, Dougie, Paul Henderson, uh, Lanny Sittler, many others. We actually have a clip here from Glenn Healy, who uh, heads the NHL Alumni Association. Vic, you want to play that? Hi, I'm Glenn Healy of the NHL alumni, a 16-year NHL vet, and one of my teammates needs our help. It's Mark Curtin, a great teammate. Mark is suffering from ALS, commonly known as Lou Gehrig's disease. Well, tomorrow, across Canada, there will be a walk to raise money for ALS. And what I'm asking for everybody across this country, from coast to coast to coast, let's dig in, let's find a cure, and let's help a great teammate like Mark Curtin and put an end to this dreaded disease. 
So what does it feel like when yeah. you get that kind of support, right? It was it was great. It started off really small. I had that idea last year in May that I would go ask a few, um, you know, former NHLers and and uh, media personalities, etc., to uh, to do a sixty second uh, ALS promo. And I even went as far as to, with some of them, just write out some scripts, you know, on 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 really what we're after from an advocacy standpoint. And you know what? It was incredible, the response. Like, I remember I, the one I sent to Wendell, I bet you I had it back in half an hour. And uh, wow. it, it was, you know what? The whole thing was phenomenal. And I, I think it kind of hit the Twitter wire pretty good. Um, although I think the one I did had 50,000. I just want to let you know that, Joe. Yeah. 50,000 views. <laughs> But right, so I was watching. I was watching Gabby's and a couple of the other one, and just riding those guys saying, "Well, you're not at 50. But but anyways, you know, it it, it was so appreciative that they did that, and uh, you know, I it, it's pretty hard to to have an encore for something like that. But I'm uh, I'm actually right now in process of uh, of doing a little bit of stitching uh, with all of them and and come out with four or five of them in about a week, uh, just for another little shot of ad advocacy, because that's what it's going to take. I mean, it's, it's the kind of illness that has been forgotten about. It's underfunded. The government ignores it in Canada. Um, and, and so the only way we're going to have a bit of a breakthrough is, is just never, never let up on the advocacy. That's, that's the biggie. We want to get your Twitter handle out there too. It's at Kurt Speaks ALS, at Kurt K I R T Speaks ALS. Um, you know, because we want to get to the more and more traffic we can drive to uh, to, to your Twitter uh, site, the, the better. I know that you've personally helped raise uh, over $100,000 for ALS. That number's probably been improved upon. Uh, so, are you happy with the way the uh, the leagues have stepped up in terms of uh, you know support for ALS? Yeah, without a doubt, Major League Baseball yeah is massive. You take a look in Los Angeles and Kansas City and some of the other uh, venues, they were it was just ALS all day long on June second. So Major League Baseball and, and you know what, Joe, they should be accountable considering mm -hmm. Lou Gehrig was one of theirs from 80 plus years ago. It's about time that they had a day for him. Um, what I would like to see is I would love to see uh, the other sports league follow in, in some capacity, especially football. Because if you take a look at the number of athletes that have ALS that played football, it's astounding. And the most recent one was Steve McMichael, who was the, was the, uh, the rock of the Chicago Bears uh, mm -hmm. defense back in the 80s. And uh, one of the toughest guys you ever see. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Dwight Clark, who caught Joe Montana's pass mm -hmm. in the Super Bowl. I mean, there is a Tony Proudfoot closer to home. There's a lot of them. And uh, I think it's time that the NFL took a, took a look at this and, and had a special Sunday for ALS. I'd like to see that because in other illnesses, whether it's K 
cancer, like there's always, at least with cancer, there's some hope, um, you know, and, and, and some uh, meds that can, can help prolong. With this one here, it's nasty. And, and uh, because there's so many athletes that do get it, uh, it would like to see, I'd like to see the league step up a little bit more than they do for sure. Uh, you mentioned all the athletes that uh, have ALS, uh, and uh, is there a correlation, you think, between uh, athletic well, endeavors, high-level high, high, yeah. high athletes? You know, my, my, my first sense is that there, there could be. Um, I know that there's a study at Western University about that, and it wouldn't surprise me at all that that there was some sort of a correlation. But on the other hand, there is a lot of people that have ALS that never played sports in their lives. So you're going to get that some of that too. But it is uh, prevalent in, uh, uh, in the Army as well. And I don't know whether that's, you know, post-syndromes or, or what it is, but you see it a lot there as well. But I, you know, Lou Gehrig, I was talking to uh, Wayne Gretzky, I guess uh, a month ago, and he told me Lou Gehrig had eight concussions the year he got diagnosed. So who knows? But did I get concussed? No. Yeah, I did. I got concussed a lot. I, got, I know I got knocked out in Chicago Stadium once, and Tiger tried to pick me up, and then he just he kind of picked me up and he let me go and says, stay down. <laughs> and uh, I just woke up in the dressing room and was ready to go practice the next day. I mean, that's what we did back then. Right. But, I mean, all, right. all I can recall from that was, was kind of looking up in the Chicago Stadium, and it was like a black and white movie. And I, it was almost like I could see smoke in in the crowd and, and all these fedoras. That's how out of it I was. So, wow. you know, you just don't know, right? And the guy that hit me was Doug Wilson, who ended up being head of the concussion for years. Right. <laughs> he didn't let up on me. Right. Yeah, he, he dished out a few, didn't he? So, uh, oh, yeah. the, the, uh, I know you sort of touched on the on the federal government not doing enough. The government's probably in general not doing enough. They kind of dropped the ball on this. What what would you like to see? what would you like to see? All the Canadian government has to do is look at what the U.S. does. I mean, there's a movement down there called IMALS that there's hundreds or actually thousands of members, and IMALS is a real, real strong. Um, group that uh, is constantly pecking away, and uh, and they make they've made inroads with their government. You know we're we're going lucky if there's over a million dollars given to ALS from the feds. So it's really frustrating for us, and and really what we're after, Joe, is uh, um, not only does this illness need research, uh, research funding, but because we need to get some treatments into Canada, we don't have a lot of treatments into Canada. We need, or not treatments, but trials into Canada mm -hmm. and, uh, money will do that. So research is number one. 
advocacy, we're doing the best we we can with it. Um, but I don't know. It, we just we we formed uh, in 2020. We formed a group called LSAC, um, ALS Action Canada, and we're we're building that group uh, to be a patient-led voice and uh, sort of following IMALS, but we're in the infinite stage stage right now, and uh, we'll be uh, our website is running, and we're going to uh, we're going to try and build our membership base. And create that patient voice that that will get out there and make some noise. But at the end of the day, I think if you asked every ALS patient right now what they would really, really want failing a cure is to get path have faster pathways from when a, a drug goes into Health Canada or FDA to get it through quicker with priority review. So it gets into our bodies quicker. We cannot wait two years to three years from a drug, experimental drug going in there to get approval because we just don't live that long. So mm -hmm. we need that, you know, if we want to take experimental stuff that's reasonable, then we should be allowed to do that. And uh, that's, that's the big ask that all pals want. The, uh, have, now, I'm sure that you've reached out to the government in some ways to ask for that. What, what do they tell you? Like, what do they say? Like, what is the delay? Well, how, how can they, why can't they fast track it? Well, they, they you know, we, we're always doing that. I mean, we, we talk to our MPPs, MPs, were, uh, were, uh, we talk to Health Canada, we talk to every, every and any group we possibly can. Um, we, we, uh, I guess it was last year, I think we had 26,000 names on a petition and approached the government. Because back, back I think, in 2017, there was a gentleman in Ottawa that passed away of ALS. And uh, they, they swore right then and there that they would help this illness out, and they haven't done anything at all. Um, and I, I can't recall the the bill, but they, they said that they, so that just tells you right there, but all we can do, Joel, is just keep pecking away at it. Um, but there, there's, you know, there's only so much money and, you know, if they choose not to send it our way, there's not much we can do unless we yell louder. And that's what we have to do. I mean, they, they, you know, you look at HIV and you look at, at COVID, how quickly they uh, they solved those problems. Well, you know, it wouldn't mm. hurt to solve this problem, especially when this illness is such a nasty one. And it is. It's. I mean, if I, if you saw some of the things that I've seen with uh, with pals, how they start to suffer, it's not good. It's not good. We uh, we got some video here of you uh, throwing out the first pitch for a for a Blue Jays game. Uh, that was kind of a cool honor. Yeah. How did that come about? Yeah, that was fun. Well, that was Jamie Campbell, who's also from Oakville here, but uh, uh -huh. he uh, he suggested it, and uh, off I went. It was uh, yeah, it was quite a pitch. As a matter of fact, 
It was a, it was a heat. It was a heater. It was a heater with a little bit of sinkage. And uh, and the guy that caught the ball, um, it was pretty funny because I was I was ready to throw it, and uh, I said, "Buddy, you're too far away. Get closer." So he bunny hops closer. <laughs> but what was even funnier, Joe, before that is when I got out there, I told the mascot, I said, buddy, when we get out there, I said, just lay the ball in my hand gently. Don't drop it in my lap because I won't right. be able to pick it up that easy and you're going to have the drum roll going and all that. Yeah. Sure enough, what does he do? He drops it in my lap. And so oh. I'm fumbling for the damn thing. And I finally got my hand around it, got my arms back. But it listen, it was a real thrill, and it made me think how big that stadium is, because I you don't really realize that it's a lot bigger than a hockey arena. And uh, when you're down on the field, and now granted, it wasn't that many people there, but it wasn't a full house. But it was a great experience, and uh, I thank Jamie for that, and uh, because that just adds to more. Uh, or advocacy, which is what I'm all about. Before I let you go, I want to talk about. I know, I know that you uh, you, you still watch hockey and you're still involved. You still, uh, you know, uh, uh, I am sure a bit of a fan of the Leafs. Um, what should the team be addressing in this offseason? You know, it's funny you ask that because at the podcast last year, because it was first year of Lou Gehrig. Thing. I think I was on about 15 of the podcasts all over the place. And the funny one was with McCowan and Shannon. And uh, before we even started the thing, it, it happened to be two days after the Leafs lost to Montreal. So I already knew they were going to ask me that right off the get-go. <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, it was easy. I just said, hey, Carey Price, do I have to say anything more than that? Anyways, I got through that one. But fast forward to this year, um, it, it was tough to watch. It, it was tough because I am a Leaf fan deep down, and and uh, it, it was real hard to see them lose when I actually thought this might be the year like we all thought. But I'll tell you something, Joe. I don't think, and I'm going back to my 1978 Memorial Cup team with Gary Green coaching that ran four lines all year long. Roger Nielsen ran four lines all year long. A lot of teams do. And I just think the teams that make it to the NHL Stanley Cup have four strong lines, and they use all four. And I can't help but look back at that series and think, okay, at the beginning of the series, the third and fourth liners were, were, were scoring goals and they were contributing. But then as the series went on, they, the third and fourth liners didn't, weren't scoring that much. And is that because they weren't playing as much? You know, were we playing our horses maybe a little too much? See, these are the questions I ask myself. Mm. And I look at Tampa Bay and I go, you know, the last two years they ran four lines every game in the playoffs. That's the way John Cooper coaches. And uh, that's the way Gary Green coached. So I'm wondering if if they're going into a little bit of a build next year, I think it wouldn't be a bad idea to build for a, 
a four-line run right to the end. And then the last thing I notice is that you see teams like Tampa Bay and uh, and and uh, Rangers. You, you see them collapse in the in the, in the uh, slot in their own end, and you got to go through about 15 sets of legs. It's it's so hard. I used to coach minor hockey that way. When we were playing against a team that was a lot better, I just collapsed the kids into the slot, and you can't get the puck through there. So it seems like a, a simple thing, but maybe that's what we got to do in Toronto as well. You know, but uh, I, I think they're close, Joe. I think they're close. They just need a little bit of tinkering and run four lines. That's my opinion anyways. Well, you know what? I, I would take that. And from the guy who ran the, those MTHL teams collapsing in the slot, uh, I think the least would pay attention, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't well, know. They, they, the Rangers, know. they worked for Tampa. They, do you know yeah. what? They hit a lot of legs in that game yes. seven. Yes. But also our, our horses were pretty tired. Yeah. Right. Our yeah. core was pretty From tired. Playing a lot. Seven. Yeah. And there were, you so, know, and it was unusual this year too, because you had so many, uh, a lot of special teams involvement, let's say that you wouldn't normally have. There seemed to be a lot of penalties true. called it, you know, that, that was, uh, so that therefore you're, you're now you're taking a few, quite a few players out of the game. Right. So well, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, the other thing I was going to ask you, like, if you look sure. at Colorado and what they've done, you know, they've had the, the playoff failures the last couple of years and, 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 you know, like the Leafs have, although it's the Leafs, it seems to be a little bit longer than that, but they've had a really, let's say a really good team, the Leafs for two years. Last year, they lost to Montreal, very hot goaltender. Tavares got hurt in the game one this year. They they're playing the defending Stanley cup champions who know how to win and took them yeah. seven games. And in game six, they could have, with the puck bouncing properly here or yeah. there, they're, they're, they're advancing instead of Tampa, and who knows how far they, they go. Is it, does it make sense, the fact that they've decided to hang on to, uh, you know, hang on to what they've got in management, hang on to what they've got in coaching, stay the course, and maybe give it an, a, another shot? Does that make sense? Oh, 100% it does. Oh, I think so. Yeah, I mean, listen, there's a lot of teams that would have lost to Tampa Bay. And, uh, you know, and that's before, that's when Point was playing, right? I mm -hmm. mean, he, he's kind of the, the, the straw that stirs that drink, same way mm -hmm. as Marner, right? So um, 100% I would keep everybody. Yeah. Right. But, I, you know, I, they, they've got to they've make some, they've still got to make some changes. We've got to get a little bit more. Uh, we might need a horse on defense, um, but I, I think it's all about building for that distance. That's a tough run in the playoffs. Yeah, I remember in yeah. the Vancouver. I remember when Vancouver went to the final the year before that big Boulderev curtain trade. Yeah, <laughs> I. You know what? That year before, those guys told me they went through like about thirty-five players. Like it, it is a war to go to the final. It really is. And so I think that the teams that get to the final four, they're aware of that war and they build for that war. And they put, they put players on that team, the pieces that are going to help them get through that war. And I think that's what Toronto needs to do at this point. They're good enough, but they need some warriors that can carry them the distance. 
in the trenches. There right. you go. And now you have it. There you go. Wow, that I got it. And you know what I got? I get this from an, a warrior, right? Mark Curtin, wow. you're a warrior. You're a warrior wow. for for uh, ALS. I know that there's there's walks for uh, to end ALS all across the country this month. This is June, so get out there and walk if you can, and and support ALS any 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 way that you can. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, I mean, you know, I get asked this a lot. What can people do? But you know what? You can just you can just make noise about this. If you're talking to your politician, uh, your local politician about something, or make noise about ALS, because you know, make it a make it so that it's out there, and and I think if everybody did that, um, I I think that it would, you know, maybe rise closer to the top of the pile, and and get dealt with, and when I say get dealt with, just have a huge influx of money that's gonna. It's going to come into play. That's just going to find a cure, and uh, because it's it's not the kind of illness. It's not a pleasant illness by any means, and uh, it's uh, the only way I can I can describe it is I'm sure you've heard it described. It's like living in a glass coffin when you get to the end, and uh, you know it's uh, you know I can think of a lot worse or a lot easier ways to go than that. But I don't look at it that way. I don't look way down the line. I just uh, try and take each day and each week as it comes, and and uh, and and hope for the best, and and hang in as long as I can, creating advocacy until such a time as they hit a home run. And uh, who knows? I mean, they kind of hit a little bit of one for for the uh, genetic uh, ALS, so maybe they'll hit one for sporadic as well. But I think I think I need to use my platform to uh, do the best I can to uh, uh, to build as much advocacy as I can, and I certainly have enough friends now in in the media world and everywhere else that I'm sure that uh, when a push comes to a shove, they'll have my back. And and I have to laugh at Doug McLean. It doesn't matter what I Twitter. He uh, retweets it every single time. What a man that guy is! It's it's uh, it's awesome. But uh, all the guys have been great, and uh, um, you know. So if they're listening to this, big big hugs and thank you to to everyone. Yeah, well, you're doing a great job too, Mark. You and your pals. Uh, good luck with LSAC. Um, good luck. Keep to keep keep to keep. Keep plugging away, man. I mean, you know, it's one of those things you never know. I mean, that the that that cure could be just around the corner if we just uh, you know do what we can, and, and everybody helps just a little bit. You know, just everybody helps just a little bit to see what we can can't uh, right. bring an end to this, right? Exactly, exactly. And uh, boy, it's uh, it it's it just you know. I, I will tell you this though, I have, of all the pals that I know, and I know quite a few now, not from just not just from LSAC, but from ALS Canada and everywhere else. And I'll tell you, every one of them, every one of them has a smile on their face. Everyone. Beautiful. 
Well, thank you, Mark. And uh, thanks for taking the time to join us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, this, is a, uh, this, is, this is an important one. Thank you. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Okay. Okay, we got more on the show when we come back. Thanks again. More Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show coming up after the break. Guests on Joe Tilly Sports receive a gift certificate from Classica Imports. Top of the line, imported men's clothing. Check out the Classica Essential Collection now. Go to shopclassica.com. Hey, this is Tommy Grazley, a.k.a. Tommy Gunn. I love two things, music and sports. And when I want sports, I go to the Joe Tilly Show. He gives me everything I want. It's a great show. Check it out for yourself. Joe Tilly Sports, coming up. Good night. Addiction Rehab Toronto, Toronto's number one alcohol and drug treatment center. Saving lives, reuniting families. The only treatment center in the province to offer medical detox, treatment, sober living, and lifetime aftercare all in one place. Our unique and specialized programs are designed to equip our clients with the tools to successfully lead a life of dignity, respect, and purpose. Let us help save your life or your loved one's life. Call today for more information or to facilitate an intervention. 1-855-787-2424 or visit addictionrehabtoronto.ca. Joe Tilly Sports is brought to you by COSA, Central Ontario Standard Bread Association, providing a united voice for harness horse people racing at Ontario tracks. Check out your benefits today at COSAonline.com and check out COSA TV on Facebook and YouTube for all the latest harness news and live action updates. Live racing year-round. Go to hpibet.com for all your wagering options. Become a member today, and your first bet is free. That's hpibet.com. Do you know why that happened? You didn't fix your ball mark. The birds around here are very protective of the course, and when people don't take care of it, this is what happens. It's pretty simple. Just find your mark, fix it, and at least one other. Hey, look at the bright side. We're not up on the northern course. They've got bears and moose. Visit moregolf.ca today. You'll find everything a golfer could need from balls, gloves, and clubs to custom fitting opportunities and training gear. Go to moregolf.ca and get $20 off your first purchase of $100 or more. Just enter the promo code JTSports. This is the Excellent Sports Adventure. Brought to you by Lycom.
Well, the $1 million Pepsi North America Cup is coming up June 18th at Mohawk. This is Canada's richest harness racing event, bringing together the finest three-year-old pacing colts on the planet. Some of the top contenders squared off in last week's Some Beach Somewhere Stakes, a pair of $80,000 divisions. Pebble Beach, the one-to-five favorite in the first division, and he showed us why. A dominant win going wire-to-wire -wire with driver Todd McCarthy, in the big buggy and uh, trainer Noel Daly. That was the eighth career win for Pebble Beach. In the second division, Stonebridge Helios coming off a win in the SBOA final. Had the lead in the stretch, but Beach Glass got by and watch out for Magical Arthur on the outside with Trevor Henry in the buggy. Magical Arthur gets the victory at five to one. A furious finish in 150 and three was the time for that race. $13.90 for the winner and a $50 exacta. Anthony Beaton is the trainer. Well, the Maple Leafs have to be buoyed after watching what happened to the Avalanche as they advance all the way to the cup final. It took the Avs a few shots to get over the top. The Leafs are close. They got to feel like they're pretty close here. And we've seen some awesome hockey this spring, maybe next year for the Maple Leafs. Today's environmental tip Use fewer plastic bags. Plastic bags are made from fossil fuels and that has a negative impact on the climate. Drains clogged with plastic waste can contribute to major flooding. Plastic bags harm wildlife in numerous ways. They may ingest the plastic or animals can get tangled in discarded plastic. RICOM, passionate people who turn complicated business problems into simplified technology solutions. For public and private sector real estate, properties, portfolios, and enterprise customers. Optimize and future-proof smart buildings from the ground up. The latest in fault locating, base building network design, managed services, cybersecurity, data analytics. Our fault detection will support all smart strategies, define projected outcomes for capital planning, and reduce environmental impact. RICOM, smart protection solutions. At RICOM, we're building a path to a smart and environmentally friendly future. It's RBC Canadian Open Week. Some of the top small ball hitters on the planet will tee it up at St. George's. No Dustin Johnson, no big deal. We're looking at a very strong Canadian contingent, 21 in total, including Mike Weir, who's been tearing it up on the senior circuit. Now, here's our one-shot shootout shot of the week. God damn it. Four! Our shot of the week is brought to you by One Shot Shootout. It only takes one shot. Oh, yeah. Oh. Joseph Tilly on the pin. Oh, baby. I think you hit it. That is tight. That is tight. That's as tight as it gets, my friends. And we want to thank all the folks who make this show possible. These are friends, trusted business associates, and all-around great people. We highly recommend them all. A reminder that the show is available on iTunes, Spotify, Breaker, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Cast, as well as the Spanglish Network, Zingo TV, and Buzz TV Live. Also, please like and subscribe to the show on YouTube. It's free. All of our great past shows and clips are on there. Check those out today. Thanks once again to Mark Curtin for being on the show. 
And uh, thank you for watching. We'll see you next week when Rod Black drops by for a U.S. Open preview. We'll see you then. Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show is brought to you by Brian Gribben Insurance Planning, helping you solidify your financial future. At BGIP, what we do that's unique in the marketplace is we show people how to spend and enjoy their money in their early years of retirement without the fear of running out. Also, we're able to do this without you having to change financial advisors. Please look us up at bgip.ca today. Let's book a 30-minute phone call to see how we can bring value to you and your family and your planning. Call Brian today for all your retirement needs. We did. 905-686-5678. Do you want to buy or sell a home? Could 31 years of real estate experience help you? Why not speak to an amazing team that loves to overpromise and overdeliver? Aldo has a tremendous team of experts on staff. They are committed to making your next real estate transaction smooth and comfortable. Call 416-GET-ALDO or visit getaldo.com. MNP, a leading Canadian national accounting, tax, and business accounting firm. MNP proudly serves and responds to the need of their clients in the private, public, and nonprofit sectors. Through partner-led engagements, MNP provides a collaborative, cost-effective approach to do business and personal strategies to help people and organizations to succeed across the country and around the world. With local offices in Oshawa, Mississauga, Burlington, and more, their team is here to support you. Visit mnp.ca today to learn more. Hi, I'm Joe Tilly. This November, join me and my wife, Penny Claire, for a trip of a lifetime. Two weeks in Egypt and Jordan. Imagine yourself riding a camel beside the Great Pyramids, cruising the Nile River, viewing the temples at Abu Simbel, exploring the desert at Wadi Rum, visiting the ancient city of Petra, and swimming in the world-renowned Dead Sea. Only $41.99 all-inclusive, with direct flight from Toronto, free upgrade to five-star hotels, and the cruise. Visit tripoppo.com and book today to get an extra $100 room bonus credit. Let's travel. The UPS store in Brooklyn wants to help your small business thrive. We offer shipping and more like our pack and ship guarantee. Plus we offer graphic design services, fast digital printing, secure document shredding, and mailboxes with a real address. Visit 31 Baldwin Street in Brooklyn, Ontario. Say you saw this on Joe Tilly's Great Canadian Sports Show, and we'll tell you how to save 10% every day.